This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Welcome to the podcast. My guest this week is a very old, (laughs) he's not that old, I've known him for a long time, a very dear friend of mine who I've been friends with for a very long time. His name is John O'Connor. John was my first coach, and he was a member of the first men's group that I ever joined. Uh, He has been a steadfast uh, friend and colleague and sometimes mentor um, and just, uh, you know, a really strong and stable part of my life for a long time. John is a dad, which we will talk about, obviously, is that's what we're here to do. He's also a coach and works with business leaders and individuals on high performance. John's a long time from New York City, moved out west. I think what I'm excited about sharing this conversation is, is just the dude is just a fountain of, of helpful uh, maneuverings in life. And he just has an immense amount to share uh, on all things business and life and self and fathering and children and partnership and, and all of that. So uh, really excited to share this conversation with you all. I want to do a quick shout out and a thank you. Recently, we sent out surveys to our audience and got a, a, a literal flood back of uh, your information and sharing about where you are and how dadhood is going and what's a struggle and what's going well. And just want to be really, really honest that that's so helpful. We are hard at work to develop uh, elements and ways to support dads that that work for them, that work for you, that work for all of us. Uh, it's a tricky thing, you know. The number one thing that we're getting back from everybody, uh, which aligns with what I have always felt and thought, is that right now, the 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 workload, the expectation load on fathers everywhere is is truly immense and it is on mothers too obviously right so I've, i'm not making that an either or that would be a big mistake but uniquely for fathers i mean imagine this entire human history that's come before us and as far as i can tell for most of that maybe all of it number one fathers weren't invited to be part of the birth scene to be in the birth chamber that was a women's thing and that led to most of the caregiving through human history coming through female hands and hearts. And obviously there's so many, there's so many exceptions to that, right? But I think it's fair enough to say that's a generalized truth. Now today, men are adding in being birth partners, being supportive partners, uh, being caregivers, doing the, the, the domestic the domestic duties as well. And for most men, there's been no letdown or no reprieve from the financial burden, from the work burden. So I just feel like it's this amazing, intense shift and men are 
really wondering how the hell to do it. And we're wondering how the hell to do it in a time where we are more isolated and on our own than ever. And so this is, this is kind of like the clear cry and message from the men that we've been uh, hearing from. And it's very much exactly why we're here. I am here. We are here doing this in order to support that. And uh, I think we have some exciting things coming up for for all of that so thank you for being here and being a part of this uh this grows by you sharing it that is the number one way uh that dads will get more support right now that's our biggest lever to turn so please do share this with friends and family and dads and other people that you think it would fit um our intention here is to just drive a lot of value um into this underrepresented and under talked about issue of being an amazing dad so enjoy the show, and I hope you can pull some, some really meaningful and useful things out of this conversation. Now here's the interview with John O'Connor. Welcome, John. Um, I will, I'll have introduced you. We don't really, we're just, we're just going to talk. Cool. Uh, we're, we're just going to go for this. And um, so, John, I... I'm just going to start with the the question that I usually end these podcasts with, and we're just going to use that to sort of move us in in some direction today. And that is, um, I mean, listen, I trust your, I just, I trust you. I trust your experience as a father, as a human, as a man, as a friend in, in so many ways. And um, so if we somehow magically had the ear of as many fathers on this planet as we could, um, and maybe even some potential fathers, I would love to just open up the floor um, for what you think would be the most important thing for them to know, to think about, to reflect on, or to just even be aware of. Just just your message to dads. That's where we're starting today. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so the first thing that's coming up well, maybe I'll just start with um, where I'm at. You know, I'm, f- I'm with both my wife for 14 years, but when I met her, she had a four-year-old. So I I came into a relationship, you know, add water, have family. Uh, so right from the get-go, I got a four-year-old and a nanny um, in the relationship. And then my son was born um, three, like two and a half years later. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've had the dynamic of having a stepson whose dad is in his life and also like my biological son and just kind of navigating that realm, which is a very unique realm. And for those dads out there that have that experience, it's, it's a, it's a unique space. Um, but one of the, you know, so I'm 14 years, I guess, into fatherhood, <clears throat> you know, my son, my son's gonna be 12. So 12 years in with, with Jaden, my little guy. And, um, and so maybe I'll just start with what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. Right. And so what's been really interesting is, and I'm sure, you know, most of the messaging that you teach guys is, you know, the work as a father is not external, it's internal. It's like doing your own work. And so I've, the past six months, I got introduced to um, tea ceremonies, um, kind of Chinese, Japanese tea ceremonies through a friend of mine who does men's work. And so I, there was something in sitting, dropping in deeply um, with tea and tea and looking at tea as medicine and looking at tea as like a master communicator plant. And so every day for about an hour, I've been sitting with tea. Sounds kind of strange, 
but it's been a profound experience for me being 30 years as a meditator, um, but never really feeling like, you know, I've gone through waves of deep processes of meditation, but the past six months has been quite transformative because the tea practice has allowed me to sit and drop in 45 minutes to an hour a day. Um, and what's been happening is I'm getting to these really deep, relaxed, open spaces. And my son, my little guy has been joining at night for tea ceremonies. So at like eight, eight 30, nine o'clock at night, you know, I, we have a tea room in the basement and we'll dim the lights and, and we'll have like this, this certain type of oolong tea he loves it. He'll have a bowl of tea and then he'll like lay down, get under the blanket. And it's almost like our unwinding ritual. Mm. But what's happening is um, as a father, I'm starting to realize much of my teaching is nonverbal. And much of the teaching is the space that I create for him to live in and modeling the thing that I want to teach. And so having him it's, it's kind of weird. Like I just imagine the space opens up in the room and I'm just like, almost like transmitting to his unconscious, like what it means to sit and touch stillness. Because as a kid in growing up, there was so much chaos, you know, threats of violence. And there was just so much disruption in my environment. I never touched stillness as a kid. And so, and I don't think I touched it really even in my adult life. There were moments that I have. Um, but there's something about touching stillness, being in that place, being engaged and having my son feel that space that I'm in yeah. as a way to model that that's possible. And so I, every night we'll sit, we'll have a cup of, you know, sometimes he doesn't want to do it, but other times he's like, Hey, we're doing tea tonight. Right. And there's just something about transmitting non-verbally, having him see me completely relaxed in my nervous system mm. and unhooked from the circumstances of my life. And so, and what's been happening in the tea process is that when I sit and I drop fully in, I unhook from, at this point in my developmental journey, all the circumstances, whether it's family or business or life or health or marriage, they all just kind of go away and it's just dropping deep into presence. And then having him be in relationship with me in that space, and he'll come in like a, like a hurricane, you know, I'll be sitting there in this deep meditative space and he comes in like, you know, not able to sit. And it's beautiful, just like allowing him to be in his energy and then slowly watching over time how he like downregulates. Uh, I mean, this, this is so rich. I want to ask one clarifying question there. I'm curious how, so just, just to name it. So some men listening or some people listening might know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Some men may have experienced moments of stillness or meditative states and some maybe not. Um, but I'm curious, first of all, would you describe what it means to you and, and why it's important for you first um, to have a place of stillness? Or I loved what you said, like out of the context, right? So out of the circumstances of everything else and creating this empty space. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so with you here, but just first of all, what's different about that experience for you first. And then I'm curious, then I, then I'm, actually what I'm curious about is how do you regard him from mm. that place? Mm. Yeah. Well, a full acceptance, right? So when, when I'm in that relaxed space, he can be any way he wants to be and just allowing him 
to be in that space and not trying to change him or have him behave anything different than how he's behaving. And what I've noticed is when you ex- create an acceptance space, they tend to want to um, mirror your energy, right? So there is like this coherence that begins to happen unconsciously where they match you. And you'll notice that most kids, when you watch fathers and sons and you look at the son, they embody similar patterns as the father, like the nonverbal patterns, right? And I, and I sometimes will sit and eat dinner when I'm in my mood and I'm like, and I could start, I have like a moment of out of body experience and I'm like, I'm being my father where I'm quiet <laughs> and I'm, I'm brewing, you know, like my dad, when he was quiet, I was like, oh boy, so, he's brewing on something. It's going to go zero to a hundred at some point. Right. And I could see like, that's, I can see patterns of behavior so deep in my system and I have to acknowledge those. And it's like, okay, do I want this deep um, disturbance to be, you know, bundled up inside of me and no one know. And then someone says something and I explode, which is, you know, a challenge that I've had to work through because I kind of keep everything squirreled away. And then a little thing happens and it's zero to a hundred. Right. But I think for me, I mean, you know, as a father, there's so much challenge um, before, during pregnancy, after, and then, looking at the stages of being from little infants to toddlers to, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, very different than fourth, fifth, and sixth, right? And so the conversation, the requirements, the engagement, um, they call you out on shit when they start getting into fourth, fifth, and sixth. You can't get away with the stuff when they were in kindergarten, you know, your poor behavior no longer can get away with as you get old, they start to reflect back that poor behavior. And if you don't Could have, you give us an example? Could you give um, us an example? You know, so like, so one of my triggers is I don't like to be late. Um, and also when I'm pressed for time and I'm behind and there's all this stuff happening, I get really irritated. And, or like I, my, my anxiety level starts to amp up where I'm pressed for time and then all these requests are coming in and then something else stacks on top of that. And, and my son will say something and I'll respond in like an aggressive way. He's like, why are you so irritated? Like, what, why, are you, why are you saying that so intensely? Like, there's like aggression in your voice. Like, he'll literally call me out in the moment. He's like, why are you annoyed? Like what's, there's nothing wrong, you know, like he'll totally call me out on that. Right. So I, I, I like that because I think growing up, I don't think I've ever called my dad out on that ever, anything. Yeah. Yeah. I never felt the permission to do that in my family where for him, you know, I want him to feel that. I want that accountability. I want him to be like, what's, why, why are you yelling? Like yeah. what's going on? You know? Yeah. Well, so, so just to name, so I think you, you've kind of put pins, pinpoints in, you know, first of all, uh, the type of experience where you or, you know, I or we as dads are, uh, you know, shrunk down and triggered and tense and whatever the fuck that is. And then on this other side of the frame, an intentional space where you're where you're literally creating a full a full acceptance space, right? We call like a yes zone, right? For for toddlers when they're playing, you create a little right. space where everything is safe, everything yeah. is okay, and and they don't have to be really vigilant, right? So, um, so again, so the I'm I'm curious the 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 open space, the 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 meditative space. I'm curious what you found or have found as um, 
I mean, I can imagine what happens in the moment or in those short periods of time, how that feels. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing impacts, like, do you, does that have an impact on your father, son bond or your relationship outside of that sitting time? And, and yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, it slows me down and it allows me to feel, uh, like stay in my body and then connect with him and just be present and just being without having to do or say anything, but just in real being. And look, the, the tea is just one container. That can happen really in any container that can happen fishing, it could happen woodworking, it could happen hiking, it can happen. It doesn't have to be tea for me It's just the one context. And I'll talk a little bit about how like as a father, I like to create polar extremes. Mm -hmm. So for example, like we'll go to trestle downhill mountain biking. And one of the things I like to do is is lead from behind with him. Sometimes I'll lead out front where I have to and other times I'll lead from behind. And so he's only 11, but he'll go down a double diamond black down on his mountain bike. And I'll follow him and he'll hit these big ass jumps and I'll have him set the pace, the tone, the speed and the track. And then I follow him. Most of the time I, I don't hit what he hits. <laughs> he's just absolute beast. And, but I, but I want these, I want these dynamic dimensions of experience where we can tap total stillness and then, you know, hitting a 20 foot yap jump on our mountain bikes. Like I love having those diverse dynamic touch points for him where he can see the full range of experience. Um, so that's just like, a, it's a, it's a theme that I kind of try to run in our, and things that I, I tend to do with him. Yeah. And so let's take, a, let's take a quick step back for a second. I'm curious where, how, I'm curious how you've come across your, I'm, I'm looking from like the intentional level here. Like, like how have you built how, how have you made your decisions? So, so, okay. So, you, you know, your name of these different polar opposites, pushing extremely hard, having the, the quiet open stillness space. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm curious, how did, what's the fucking map or the, what's the playbook you're running and where did you get it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Just, uh, well, I, I discover it through fumbling <laughs> mainly because I still fumble often in terms of the how to parent, right? And, you know, I like using metaphors. So like, um, for example, with T, one of the T masters that I've been studying with, his whole thing is nothing is true for T unless it's true for you. Because I was saying, hey, I studied with this guy and he says this thing. I studied with that guy. He says that thing. And he's like, listen, in T, if it's true for you, it's true. And I, I've kind of taken that with parenting because if you read parenting books, you get these polar opposites, you know, verbalizing. One, one track says, yeah. let the kids scream, cry until he then goes to sleep in his own room. You know, on the other hand, you look at Gabor Mate and he talks about how that traumatizes the child. Mm -hmm. So you have these polar extreme opposites. Like who, who do you, who do you follow? And I think, you know, if we tried the verbalizing and I walked in and my son was standing up sleeping. He screamed so much that he literally fell asleep standing in his crib, right? And that was the last time we tried verbalizing. Like I was just like, I tried it. And he screamed for like six hours and I walked in, he was literally sound asleep standing up. Right. And I was like, okay, that's not true for me. That doesn't work for this child. Right. So yeah. I think there's a, you know, a collection and a discovery of little things along the way. I think, I, you know, you and I both know in men's work, we borrow a lot from other people. Right. So I'll listen to people and, you know, 30% of what I said, they say I resonate with and I'll take those pieces and then I'll make them my own. 
Yeah. It's rare that I listen to someone. And I'm like from start to finish everything I agree with, but I just listen for the things that I resonate with. Mm-hmm. I think that was some of my early um, conditioning when I got sober. They used to have this thing: is like take what resonates and discard the rest. You know, mm-hmm. listen for what you resonate with and just let everything else go. Don't start like, oh, that's wrong, and this is why it's wrong. And blah, blah, blah. it's like I don't even pay attention to that anymore. It's like what resonates, I take it and I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I've been trying to do is in my own developmental journey, how can I take the things that I'm experiencing and then find a way to translate into parenting? So on the extreme side, one of the things over the past, I would say, year that I've been experiencing is we put a barrel saw in the backyard and a coal plunge. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has been tr- transformative for me is I've, I've spent 47 years of my life hating the cold. I mean, you know this. I don't do cold. I don't yeah, do yeah. Cold, yeah, totally. Know, with hike yeah. and everybody goes in the river. I'm like, nah, I'm just not that guy. I just fucking hate the cold. And so doing all this identity work, I'm like, I've made my identity around a behavior. And can I shift my identity? And so, and over the past year, I have. I actually, to me, now the cold sets me free. Um, I, I've learned how to befriend the cold. But these extremes of like a 40 degree water and a 200 degree sauna every night with my wife, it's really helped us kind of feel into these polar opposites. And then when you feel the polar opposites, you can find the center most easily, right? When you swing in extremes, when you find it's, I can feel into my center now. But when I don't have extremes, I'm not quite sure where my center is. My center becomes a very small place. But within these extremes, there's a a space in which I can sit. And so, Mm -hmm. for example, my son is a drummer, which is you know it's an interesting story how he began to drum he had four years ago he had two grand mal seizures out of the blue mm-hmm. like no one knows why we still haven't figured out why there's no medical reason why he had these seizures but he um after the second seizure they had to put him on medication and after the medication he couldn't stop moving he couldn't stop tapping and i was concerned that something was wrong like is he autistic is he did something happen in his brain was he injured and my wife, when he had the EEG on his head, put this movie on called Hop, which was a, a, a bunny, the Easter bunny. I've seen Hop, yeah. He didn't yeah, want to be a bunny, want to be a drummer, you know. And my and my son just started tapping like more with sticks, and he's like, I want to, I want to drum, Dad, I want to drum. And I was like, No fucking way, I'm not getting a drum set for the house. Like it's the last thing I want to do. But you know, after a couple of requests, that I was like, Wow, you know, maybe maybe there's something here. And so I bought a drum set. And I mean, he's on his like 16th performance now, four years later, he's in school of rock, probably one of the best drummers in his school. And there's something with the crossover with the drumming in terms of the hemispheres of the brain and knowing neuroscience, knowing that when you cross Mm -hmm. the midline, you start to wire and fire different hemispheres of the brain. So I thought maybe the drumming would be some sort of healing thing for him. But as soon as he had drumsticks, he was like in the pocket. It was weird. He just had this thing inside of him and I don't know if he on some level knew the drumming was a healing journey or the drumming was just waking up in him I don't I don't really know but um he uh he likes to hit really hard he his last concert was Metallica Rage Against the Machine the Ghost like just hard you know sanitarium you know for Metallica and right now he's in a Pink Floyd band and part of what I was sharing with him was you're great at hitting hard if you want to be a great drummer, you have to learn how to be just soft and in the pocket. He's like, I don't like it's boring, you know, and we had a whole discussion. And even with his the head of the school, he's like, I want you to be in the house band. But in order to do that, you need to learn how to sit in the pocket. 
you know? And so he's like, okay, I get it because we do these extreme things. You know, I was like, you know, mm-hmm. you do Metallica and then you do comfort, you know, wish you were here. Right. Which is very different right. in terms of a drummer. And so again, like giving him these extremes musically, he'll find his center. He'll find the thing that really aligns with him. So, so my maps are emerging from my own work because yeah. you can't apply maps to your parenting if you don't first have an embodied map. Because otherwise it's just, a, it's, a, it's a heady thing. It's a concept that you're yeah. not living in and feeling. So the first, you know, the first thing for me is to embody something and, and actually experience it because feeling is knowing. Can I feel the extremes of heat and cold? Wow, okay, there's something here. And then knowing it, because I felt it in my body, I can then begin to overlay that, whether it's, um, you know, biking or music or, you know, different things that he begins to explore out in the world, right? So that's kind of like the way that I've been finding my maps is just referencing my own internal maps of the things that I've been doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So I've known you for a long time now, and we met in the context of, uh, you know, doing the work, doing doing our own work in a sense. And um, I'm curious if you reflected back on your journey, you know, I know you, you got sober, you started doing men's work, you became a coach. You, I mean, you've, you're as uh, busy, I would say, in terms of training and pro- like you've just done it. You keep doing it like you put yourself to it continuously. I'm curious, how did, how did fatherhood impact your own, your own journey, spiritual journey, sense of self deepening journey? Like, is there any clarity of, of any shifts that came from, from becoming a dad? Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's something that's, you know, I don't, I don't have a scientific explanation for this, but something that I've experienced in my own life, which is, and I've actually, I actually heard someone I, I respect say this, who's a clinical psychologist, where he's just starting to discover this. And the way that he phrased it was, when you put yourself in situations where you've reached your edge and your capacity and your resources, and it's above you, that something in your genetic code, the potential that lies in your genetic code gets activated. Fuck, that's it, cool. And and it's something that I have, I mean, you, you know this, this has been my driving force in terms of how I've development developed in my life, which is I'll stick myself in a situation and I'll trust that the potential that needs to activate will emerge in that situation. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when I started running big groups, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I step in, in front of 60 men or like just this past week, I had 50 you know, executives from a company. I had the CEO call me the night before saying his facilitator bailed out. And would I fly the next morning to run a two day retreat for 50 executives? No planning, no structure, nothing. He's like, can you just come here and run it? I trust you. And I did. And I just know that when I step into something, what I've done all the work, whatever needs to get activated will get activated. And so I've trust that process. And I see this with fathers, you know, and not to say that before you have a kid, you know, don't do any studying or learning or prepping. I mean, that's great, but that's not going to even scratch the surface for you, right? What, what happens when you become a father is something unlocks in your genetic code and you get more capacity. So the self that, I, you know, myself before fatherhood, when I was projecting into fatherhood, there was no way that I was able to conceive how I would be able to do it. But when the baby came, whatever was needed to be unlocked, unlocked, and I had the capacity to do it. 
but but I did I wasn't unlocked until it happened until I was called in the moment where it was needed. It's really wild, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a really wild experience. And I think in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, they talk about when you have a child, your vessel expands automatically. The light bestows more capacity for you. So in the Torah, they talk about that. And with Stephen Gilligan, one of my teachers, he talks about how the ancestors don't come until you have reached the edge of your capacity. And Mm -hmm. that's when they come and support you. And so like, I've had that messaging in all these different contexts. And so I trust myself. And so if I want to, if I'm feeling stale, I'm not growing, I'm not expanding in my capacity. I'm like, okay, what am I not? I need to step into something that's way above me in terms of what I think I can do. And when I step into it, the thing that needs to unlock will. And so that's the thing with fatherhood. I feel that that absolutely happened for me. You know, my, you know, yeah. me before and after fatherhood, I was a very different guy before and after. And um, yeah, thinking back on it. Yeah, it was it was a fast transition. I mean, it all happened really fast. I, I guess it feels like it happened fast for I me, know. too. I guess it does. It's, it is such a night and day difference to, to go through that first transition into it. Totally. But, totally. Yeah, I, I wonder neurologically if there's a neurological sort of uh, description of of what happens with that capacity because it's so it's just so fucking weird (laughs) i mean well if you think about like you know we are standing on the shoulders of every father's all of my father's fathers all the way back to the first man whoever the first man was i don't know right but somehow genetically i carry all that information and it's in there but you don't need it all there's so much rich vast wisdom and knowledge that is held in ourselves and in our being but at, at this current space, why would I unlock it if there's nothing that's calling for it? Yeah. So, so you've got to step into something for it to unlock. And mm-hmm. so, and it kind of ties with this whole idea about like, I've really tried to um, no longer rely on motivation. Like motivation is, it has such a big, I'm just not feeling motivated. Yeah. You know, and what I, I think with fatherhood has taught me, and this is a little bit more on the masculine side is being driven more by principle and value than feeling and motivation. Yeah. And some people were very tuned to that for me when I met my wife and she's like, what do you want to do on Saturday? I'm like, I don't know. Let me just see how I feel. She's like, I, I don't work like that. I've got a four-year-old and I need to plan. And, you know, yeah. and it really challenged me to be like, okay, I'm going to commit to this, whether I feel like doing it or not, I'm going to do it because it was a commitment. <laughs> Yeah. And I still hear a lot of guys, you know, making this, I'm just not, I haven't done it. Why not? I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not motivated. It's like, you're still relying on motivation to take action. That is a losing battle because motivation comes from me two weeks after I've done something consistently, like, <laughs> yeah. like exercise, right? Like oh, I get yeah, motivated. Exactly. Like I got, a, I just got back yeah. on the mats with jujitsu <clears throat> about eight months ago after being off for two years. And I absolutely did not want to do it. It wasn't motivated. Yeah. I didn't want to do it. But there was a part of me that's like, I'm on the journey to black belt and I'm going to do this. It's something I committed to. And I got on the mat and I was resistant for like the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, all right, okay, what am I, you know, I'm, I crave it now. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a craving that begins to emerge, but it only emerges on the, on the other side for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time waiting to have motivation to take action. And it's just a losing, it's just, <laughs> I mean, honor, especially for dads, I would say when, when the, when life fills up so completely and there are 
you know, you have to be very, 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 you have to make a lot of choices and you have to be intentional with your time or you get run over. Yeah. I, so yeah, the, the way that I've phrased what you're sharing there is yeah. Motivation. I think I abandoned that shit a really long yeah. fucking long time because it, cause yeah. it's, it is flimsy. I think that like dads have to figure out what the right fucking conditions are to set and then with advanced thought and with premeditation and with intention behind it, you have to fucking, you have, I think that is part of the, the masculine end, the especially masculine end of yeah. fatherhood. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not for every, not everybody's in that position, but for me, it's very, very, I, I am constantly thinking what conditions need to be set where, right. It's, it's just like, it's just like kind of this like blanket looking at, creating intentional space in, in like all of these avenues of life. And you're right. Yeah. Man, and I do it poorly. I mean, I, I fumble at that a yeah. lot, but what, one of the things that I think for most people, um, most people have undiagnosed ADHD, right. Mm. Like just across the board yeah. and ADHD and fatherhood is, is, if you don't deal with executive functioning in the prefrontal lobe, you're going to get run over all the time. You're going to get victimized. And you're going to get divorced. End of story. I see it all the time, right? Yeah. 80% of divorces, yeah. one person is ADHD. And, no and shit. Yeah. Wow. There's studies where they've looked at, you know, people who've gotten divorced and, and, and that ADHD is, is a high number of divorce. Wow. And so one of the things, you know, and, and my mentor um, who actually was, was like one, Andy Mahoney is amazing. Um, he's like one of the top, um, gifted and talented therapists, right? So kids who are on the spectrum out of the bell curve, mm. they're not autistic, mm. but they're gifted and talented, right? Yeah. They're, they're ADHD. There's, you know, executive functioning issues. He was my mentor for many, many years, still is. And one of the things that he had me do early on is, and you'll see like right now, like I have my notebook open always. Um, I have a digital notebook. I have this notebook. I have a remarkable. And so what he trained me to do is anytime I have a thought, or an anxiety that begins to emerge, just track it. Mm. And usually anxiety is a signal, a call to action of something that might be out of alignment, an open loop that hasn't been closed, or something that you know deep down you need to be doing and you're not. Yeah. So people, and look, and again, there's generalized anxiety, which has a lot of different causes. So this is like a small sliver of anxiety. I'm talking about like just your basic run of the mill anxiety to me is it's a call to action. There's something that I, I know I need to be doing and I'm not, and I'm avoiding yeah. something. And that could be deep in terms of I'm not actioning on the calling that I know is in there and I'm living out of alignment that, yeah. and that could be, well, and because I need to make money and there's no other options and there's nothing else like great, but you're still living out of integrity with the deepest calling and that will create anxiety. Yeah. But what he had me do was anytime that's, he wanted me to jot it down. And so, cause I have working memory issues because of my auditory processing disorder, I need to capture things. And if I don't capture, they go away. Like I have this built in forgetter. Mm -hmm. And so every day, like when something comes up and I get triggered or an anxiety comes up and I'm like, huh? Oh yeah. I've been avoiding my accountant. Great. I'll just write down accountant next step X, Y, and Z. And I just write it down. And then I just keep going about my day. And so I, every morning I'll kind of just set, my executive functioning online, which is what's my intention. So I heard this, um, this is not my phrase. I heard someone say it's not ADHD, it's IDHD, which is intention deficit disorder, hyperactive. Interesting. <laughs> not attention, it's intention 
Yeah. And I yeah. thought, what a freaking great, because yeah. it's like, yeah. what, what do you want? Yeah. Right. Most people are stuck in the problem frame. It's like, what do you really want? How do you want it to be different? What's your intention? How are you going to move there? So what, what I would do every morning is I'd have a cup of coffee. And, so, and when I talk about journaling with people, it's like, I just don't have enough time. I'm like, do you drink coffee? Great. That's your timer. The, the timer that you use to write in the morning is a cup of coffee. And when you're done with the coffee, you're done with your writing. Now, I had like a 24-ounce coffee. It was a big fucking mug. <laughs> right? <laughs> which, by the way, I've stopped since I've been doing tea, which um, – We'll talk about adrenals and burning out and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> but what I found was, what is my intention? So if you see, I have a, a glass um, whiteboard behind me. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday, I write down like, and I remind myself, what is my North Star? Like, what am I orienting toward? Because if I don't, three months go by, I'm like, where am I? What was I working on? Oh, shit, I was writing yeah. a book. I haven't touched it in like three months, right? I, I because of father, it just so much is going on between running a, a big business and family and wife and all you know all my other things that I do. If I'm not sitting down and go, okay, where am I? What's my north star? And what's the intention for the week? Um, I, it just blows by because then I get into reactive mode and I'm just managing what's coming into me versus mm -hmm. being intentional about what I want to create. Right, we're all consuming the 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 consumption execution ratio is inverted. We're consuming about 90% and executing 10. It needs to be inverted for most guys. When you get a father, you've got to start executing and creating and stop consuming, right? Yeah. All these guys who read a book a week, yeah. I'm like, dude, stop. Like, your, your, your knowledge center in your brain is bloated and you got skinny legs, right? Have you seen those guys, like the big yeah, guys, yeah, like top, it. like huge pecs and they got no calves? I'm like, your calves are really skinny. Like you're so that you're going, this is exactly, <laughs> this is great. You, 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 you guided us there, but this is where I wanted to go. So yeah, I want another mysterious thing, right? So we're talking about um, capacity showing up or unlocking when you become a father, but yeah, how that plays in with purpose and commerce and work and profession is, is something that I've been just kind of doing a informal study of, and, and this kind of comes out of my own experience, right? So my first son came, you know, six plus years ago now. And that was like, literally, like I had been crouched on the starting line of a race and it was just like, fucking go. Right. And my, my life changed completely. My actual calling came through. I fucking leapt at it. Right. And I've seen it happen now time and time again, that, that, and it's not even just first child that there seems to be some magic of energy that comes with each child as well. But mm. what have you seen? What have you observed in terms of men's capacity, both that has happened positively, but also where there's big gaps. You just named one too, right? It's like, yeah. it's, you have a busy life now it's time to stop fucking sucking in all of this shit and do right. But yeah. yeah. What have you seen, man? To interrupt this conversation just for a minute and tell you about intentional fathering. Intentional Fathering is an audio course that's delivered to you as a podcast. So I'm using this back-end podcast software, and you pay for the course, and then it just magically, through the assistance of technology, shows up in your podcast feed. It's not public. It is, it is a private course, but it's easily accessed through all of or any of your normal podcast feeds, so Apple Music or Spotify or whatever you use. Uh, the topic, what we do in intentional fathering, it's just a deep dive 
into you and your values and your fatherhood sort of makeup. Where are you on your journey, your identity? It offers a bunch of deep dive practices, guided meditations, challenging questions, prompts to journal on, and there's a lot of stories for perspective. Uh, I'm proud of it, and I would love uh, if you check it out. So Intentional Fathering, it's on my website, dandoty.com. Um, I see, well, this, and this happened to me, which, you know, the child becomes the center of focus and not the marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so if we look at order of importance, the child becomes the the center point, everything revolves around the child and the marriage, the container, the, the dynamic begins to become secondary and over time begins to fray. Right. And that puts a tremendous amount of strain on the marriage. And that happens a lot. Right. I think. Yeah. And it, you know, it took me a while to, you know, look at my priorities in terms of my own, you know, connection with source first and foremost, and myself, and then connection with my wife, and then connection with my kids, mm-hmm. right? Like, versus it was just kids, and then forget about self and forget about wife, because the kid is the most important thing. And that's just you have to go through that. That's just kind of the process you go, you're not going to avoid that. The kid will take your priority and everything else will be secondary and you'll not take care of yourself. Right. It's just, this is what happens, but you know, you know, how long do you sit in that pattern? Exactly. I've met people who've had eight and seven year olds who've never taken a vacation alone with their wives. Yeah. Right. Like I've seen that happen where it just becomes like, and then there's, there's all the excuses of why they can't do it. And sometimes it's an attachment of one parent doesn't want to leave the kid. It's, it, you know, I don't have the time, whatever it is, right? They're, the excuses become the norm instead of a creative solution. Um, so I, I see that happen a lot. I see, um, you know, for people who don't, you know, I, I kind of like the metaphor of business, right? You work on your business or you work in your business, right? You're in it, you're doing it. Then you got to like step out and work on it, change the the framing and the structure and the, you know, how you do your business. And then like the next level is working through the business to develop and grow yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think there's being in the family, there's working on the family, and then there's working through the family, mm-hmm. develop as a human being. And that takes a certain frame, right? Like, I don't think that's innate. I don't think that's like, oh, I'm going to work through my family to develop you know, strength and willpower and mindset and opening my consciousness and deepening still. Most people don't, you have to be exposed to that. You have to find someone who's embodying that and going, Ooh, how are you doing that? Like, I want to do that. So that's very much what the higher end of fatherhood unlocked is a hundred percent about. So I I love that you're bringing. Yeah, that's great. And then, and that's a, that's an essential component. Um, but you know, spending a lot of times and watching how other people interact with family, you can do that anywhere, everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and look at as, as a father, it's in, you know, I'll coach guys who are very, very successful. They've achieved, you know, beyond what you can imagine financially, they get to like their late forties, early fifties. And then now they're having to repair the disconnect with the kids. They're having to repair the disconnect with any sort of deep, meaningful friendships there's friendships out there that are superficial but they're not like deep like you and i have a deeply meaningful relationship over time but most people as they get into older stages that's why men become more and more isolated and alone and to me the the most the deadliest place is a man in isolation because left to his own thoughts 
only chaos ensues, right? Like yeah. we as men need feedback loops and we need to model other people's behavior, you know, and something that, that, that helps us to go, Oh, wow. You're doing that. Like, whew, I need to, I want to embody that. Like, so it's not like I'm competing to beat that person. I'm competing to better myself by modeling other people. Right. So I think that's an essential component as a father is looking at how do you begin to surround yourself with people who are, you know, equal or above and have the same values and mindset yeah. as you would like a growth mindset. And it's, it's challenging and it's not challenging. Right. I mean, it can yeah. be challenging in the beginning, but once it's like, it's, it compounds over time. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that is where intention comes in. So you may not have any guys around you that are inspiring. So in the morning with your cup of coffee in your journal, community is a, is a context, right? So what's my yep. intention? My intention <laughs> is to surround myself with people that inspire me. I write that down. Great. That might take you seven years, right? So, <laughs> so, so the long game is another metaphor I learned from jujitsu, which I'm 10 years in and I'm still a blue belt. Most people will get their black belts by now. Right. And, and it's just taken me, that's just been my journey. I've been often on the mats because of injuries and stuff. Um, and I'm a slow, slower learner, but I feel like this idea around, well, I don't have any guys around me. Well, fuck, you know, that's just where that's I'm stuck. And that's just, I'm not going to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then the tension starts to trigger. It's like, well, set an attention for the next two to three years. Yeah. You know, they're going to pass and your kids are going to get older and three years are going to come by and either you're going to have people or you're not. And seven years are going to pass and either you're going to have people or not. And 15 years are going to pass and either you're going to have people or not. So if it takes you 15 years to cultivate a community, which it should not, it should take you one to three years. Yeah. And, and there's very specific ways in which you can do that. Um, it shouldn't take you that long. Even if you live in an isolated remote area, we live in a virtual world, right? We can connect. Yeah. I, I have virtual coffees two, three times a week with people all around the globe connecting, you know, I, I, but you have to, as a man, most guys are not oriented to be motivated to nurture relationships with other guys. That's just well, but it also goes back to that taking action part, right? It, and it's the less sitting on your heels and taking <clears throat> shit in, but not leaning forward, you know, not, right. not and just setting an intention, after. right? Yeah. So if my intention is to deepen yeah. and widen my network. Great. What are the behaviors that would allow me to do that? I write them down. Wow. Well, you know, picking five guys that I really want to um, grow and develop better relationships with. Okay, great. What do I do with those five guys? Every month I set an intention to put it on my calendar and I reach out. <clears throat> either dinner hike i'll uh i'll you know i'll send a text hey man i, I actually one of the things that i like to do is i facetime people out of the blue hmm. right and and most of the time like me, my buddy ezra right he'll pick up you on the toilet he's like are you facetiming me you know <laughs> like who does that you know i'm like i do that you know like and if you're my friend i'll facetime you out of the blue and if you can't answer you'll hang up and you'll say hey i'll call you later right but i i like doing that you know, I like reaching out and I know, and people, most of the guys that I connect with are like, dude, thank you so much for like reaching out all the time. That's amazing. I love that. And I'm grateful for that because it's not an innate behavior. It's not yeah. my innate behavior. It's not my, I'm an, I'm an introvert, you know, with a black belt and extrovert, extroversion, I call it like, yeah. but I'm my, my innate, I can be a homebody alone with my family for a year. I don't need to see anybody, you know, but I know that that's not a good place for me. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, seems common and, and maybe this is maybe this is becoming less true but is this uh, archetype of a 
successful business person who who is a father who's who knows that world who's happy place who gets rewarded from success at work you know kind of gets that but just has a um I don't know if it's an aversion or it's just a, it's a different it's a different set of skills that's needed in the relational part to to really become uh, you know deeply part of your family to be woven in the rug of your own family and um, again you know a lot of the work that that you do and I do kind of offers tools in that direction but what would you say to a to a dad who's listening who's who can who would if they were honest with themselves it's just like fuck it. I feel better at work. Like, like I just, it's hard for me to, it's hard yeah. for me to put the time in elsewhere. Yeah. Know? And look, it's, and you know, I was that way in the beginning too, like before I was coaching and I was, I was doing massage therapy for what, 17 years. Right. And like, I, I get, you know, do baby stuff in the morning and then I couldn't wait to go to work. Like I couldn't wait to get away for eight hours, you know, it's yeah. just like, and you know, there were times where work was the place where everything was, you know, controlled you know i had control and it was all good and positive and there wasn't really any chaos and yeah and 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 again it goes back to intention okay so i come back to my home life and it's chaos and that comes back to the prefrontal lobe so okay well what specifically is chaotic and what how would i like it to be different you know i'd love some peace and i'd love some time it's great so i want peace and time write it down okay what do i need to be doing Right. Like, what are some ways in which I can do that? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just getting over the flu. So my um, if I'm coughing a little bit, I apologize. Um, I hate listening to podcasts and people are like all raspy. In their throat. <laughs> I'm like, dude, cough. just get it out. I mean, I'm getting over it, too. So, it's, yeah, you're, totally. You're I think we're company. all there's a yeah. weird thing going on around there. Um, but I just had a client of mine who, you know, is mid 50s, you know, more than enough money. Kids are actually grown and in school. And just really never had time to build relationship. And one of the things he did was five, you know, five or six dads from the area. Every Monday night, they get together and they have scotch and cigar and they just shoot the shit and they talk. And he's like, I love it. I relax. I hang out, you know, and we just kind of open up about where we're at and, and going deeper. So like, you know, be the guy who creates the container if you don't have the container. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think this is a, a, a like a, uh, kind of like a baseline pattern. If there isn't something created around you that you need, you create it. And I think as a father, you have to begin to, and this is the metaphor I like to use is like creating containers that hold the experience that you're looking to have. So I'll give you a quick example of how I learned this because you asked me about my maps, right? Mm -hmm. When my wife and I bought our first house in Irvington, North of Manhattan, we, we, we were like, okay, what's the one thing that we want in our bathtub? We wanted a freestanding bathtub growing up, you know, yeah. living in New York yeah. city for 20 years, there's no bathtubs. You don't take baths. Right. So we bought this like beautiful 800 pound, like blue stone bathtub, which took forever to get up, you know, crane it in and stuff like that. But when they laid it on the tile, the guys uh, who laid it, it was slightly off center. Like the tile was slightly higher. So when they set it down, it cracked. Right. Uh... It cracked like two months after they put it. So we had like two months of like every night, long day, kids, craziness, sit in the bathtub, Epsom salt. And then we would just like, my wife and I would just like connect and chat and talk about our day. And, and we just felt like it was like the one place where we could feel relaxed and grounded and calm and connect was the bathtub, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then it cracked. And then it was like six months before I got it replaced. And I, I just, for whatever reason, it was like too heavy, quote unquote, to fix it. And so it sat there for six, seven, eight months. 
And finally I got like eight guys to come and chop it up and break it down and got a new tub and got it installed. And I remember the first time we filled it back up and getting in the tub, I was like, Oh, like, why did I wait so long to create this container? I've been wanting this experience of relaxing and connecting with my wife. And we haven't been able to have it because we didn't have the container to hold it. and, And so that metaphor for me has stuck. And when I was, putting the barrel sauna and the cold plunge in the backyard. My wife was yelling at me because it was really expensive, you know, tens of thousands of dollars putting all this stuff together. She's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why, why we have a sauna in the basement. I'm like, no, no, no you don't understand. Cause I had this container metaphor really set. And every night when we go in, we go in every night together and she's like, Oh, thank you so much. This is amazing. I love this, you know, because it's our time to sit and sweat, connect and unwind. And I recognize that the barrel sauna is a container of an experience that I wanted to have. And every month I have, you know, guys that, you know, like Jason Gaddis and Will Vanderveer yeah. and Matt Hunter. Yeah. Every night we have a boys night, we sweat, we cold plunge. And it's our time to kind of set our intent. Hey, what are you doing? What are you up to? What are your goals? And I love those guys because they all have bigger goals than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, like even though my goals are big, like they stretch me. And yeah. that container, the intention was I wanted to invite people into a container where I can go and connect. And so mm-hmm. I can invite me, me couples. Hey, come over, come on, we'll sit in the sauna together and we'll cold plunge. And it becomes a wonderful experience for connectivity. So I think as fathers, we have to create containers so that you and your child can spend time in. And same thing with your wife, right? Yeah. So yeah. mountain biking was a container. <laughs> Skiing is a container. Like Jaden and I do a bunch of different things. I'll create containers. We'll go rock climbing or we'll hike or... um the, the latest container, which I'm realizing, and this is something that I think all dads need to hear, and I need to hear it a lot too, which is when I'm feeling disconnected from my son, I find what he's doing. I enter his world and I, I let him lead me in his world. So he's yeah. loving like video games now. He's 11, he plays all his friends like Call of Duty, you know? And I'm like, I don't play video games, but for an hour I'll go sit and I'm like, and I'll play with him. I'll enter into his world and I'll let him share what he's doing versus be like, dude, get off the, get off the games. Let's go out and hike or let's go do this because that's not good enough. Right. But in his world, it's the most important thing (laughs) ever. Dad, look at these skins on my gun, you know? And I'm just like, whatever, you're fucking wasting money, but it's his world. And so to connect with him, I got to enter into his world. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's shift it up for a second. I'm going to take you through a series of questions, but we're going to slow it down. We're going to drop in a little bit more and, um, and I'm just going to kind of guide us probably like 10 minutes or so. So, so the first thing I want you to do, John, is to just reflect back on, uh, whatever memory you can have of the first time that, that your son, uh, was on your skin. Right. So brand new baby mm-hmm. in your arms. Um, and I want you just to see, can you tell us a, a 30 second story of how it felt to to meet your son for the first time? Uh, I mean, well, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, you think you know what an open heart feels like. Mm-hmm. And then, you have you know, you, you have that moment with your kid and you're like, wow, like I was really 10% open. And again, it goes to like, the contrast or the context that I'm in, right. He just yeah. blasted my heart open and I realized just how closed my heart had been. Right. So yeah. that was the first thing of like really feeling him. And, and we had a really tough 34 hour labor and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
he was stuck coming through. And I remember looking down, his head was crowning and it's just like for hours, you know, it's just like, I kept going delete, 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 like in my head, yeah. you know, in terms of that image, you know? And so I'm like, that's okay. I'll forget this at some point, you know, this will be, you know, and again, I've forgotten it. It's, it's not something that lives in my, in my psyche, but, but yeah, it was beautiful. And I remember like playing music, you know, when he was in the womb and then playing music, like the same music outside the womb and just that experience of, you know, him and my voice and, you know, he just relaxed in my, it was, it was amazing. And it was an incredible experience. Um, Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Next one. So slowing down again. And now um, bring us into a moment of, of your fatherhood journey in which you were the most scared or the most not okay. Oh, um, yeah, like I think, um, when I got the phone call, I think he was in, um, let's see, third grade, uh, from his teacher that he had a seizure at -hmm. school and he was in the ambulance and I was talking to, I, he put the phone to my son's ear and I was talking to Jaden and you could just tell something was wrong. You know, and I think that was probably the scariest experience of my life. And I remember I had to drive from Irvington to the hospital, which was like a, I don't know, 20 minute drive. I got there in like seven minutes. And I remember hitting like an exit at like 140, you know, and I I had an SUV, you know. And I remember years ago, I did a men's group where we did race car driving school. (laughs) And if I didn't have that training, I would have crashed and died. You know, I just remember like hitting that turn, brake, turn, gas, right? Because I was going so fast. And and I just remember just that fear, like in my heart and like relaxing and having to breathe through that and like really like working to say, okay, I don't want to die on the way here, but also I need to get there because I just don't yeah. know what what is happening. And I think, you know, with with every parent, you know, that's, I think the the scariest thing is when a child is sick on some level, right? It's the most stressful. I think that's probably the highest stress I've ever experienced. And I've experienced a lot of stress. That was the most stressful experience yeah. in my entire life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Next one. Um, tapping in curious. Uh, what are you most proud of yourself for in regards to be being a dad? Um. Well, I think a couple of things. One is my son's never seen me drunk, right? Like mm. being sober 22 years. I think that that is huge for me. Um, you know, it's a different experience growing up with my dad, but um, I think that that's a huge one. I think, um, you know, my wife and I have gone through lots of ups and downs. And, and one of the things is, you know, some people believe you never fight in front of your kids. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think that if you're going to fight in front of your kids, you have to show them the resolve. So, so you have to fight all the way through until you come out the other side and there's a resolve. And I think modeling my wife and has my wife have had some knockdown fights, you know, like obviously we've never hit each other, but we've, we've had a few that were brutal. And I think that, you know, growing up when there was fights in my house, no one ever talked about it. Yeah. It would be a blow up and then everybody would just be walking around in eggshells for days like, and no one would ever say anything. 
right? And so um, I think just showing the cycle of a, you know, and, and teaching him the difference between conflict and combat. My wife and I get into a lot of conflicts and, and you want to avoid combat. I think that's also a big piece. Um, but I think also, you know, so that's, so, so showing him the arc and coming out the other side to love, I think is really yeah. important. But the other thing is when I had, have had blow ups with him where I've gone zero to a hundred, um, is actually apologizing and, mm. and actually having a conversation about it. Mm. Right. Like I, you know, I don't know you growing up too. Like, I, I, like no one ever apologized. My dad never apologized for blowing up, you know, like that, that was not a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think just having conversations about that to create awareness and to address certain things and to acknowledge his experience and to apologize for being, you know, I was aggressive and and really intense when I didn't need to be. And and just for all the dads out there, if you think that you're not going to do that, like, <laughs> like, let's yeah. just like call a spade a spade here. You're going to yeah. blow up. You're going to have moments where you feel shame. You're going to have moments where you behaved in ways where you would just like, what the fuck was that? You know, that is just going to happen. But the key is, is that you learn from each one and you set an intention. Wow. What's my intention? Okay. As a father, like I want to respond more mindfully when breakdowns happen. Great. I write it down. Okay. What do I need to do? I don't know. I just, I need to like, maybe I need to read some books on like, some strategies. Maybe I need to go to therapy. Maybe I need to work with my coach, like set the intention. And if it takes you seven years, your kids are going to be older. Like my son at 12, if I haven't arrested that pattern of blowing up, he's just going to like disconnect and not listen to me. And we're going to have a big gap between us. So it's never too late to deal with that anger and to go, Hey, listen, I'm going to apologize. Like I seem to like, I get triggered. I blow up. I don't like the way I act. And it's really intense for you. I can see that. And I, and I, and I haven't said, I'm sorry. And I just want to say that I am. And I, that's huge. You can, you can heal a thousand wounds with that one apology, you know, but most guys are like, there's shame that carries them and they don't address the thing that they've been doing for years. Like address it, own it, put it on the table and then make a commitment to do something different. Um, And again, that might take you seven. Again, I just keep saying it's time. Like I'm still in the loops of, working for you know 12 years in with my son um well what I, came to me as you saying that is that it may take you seven years but it it'll have it may have impact for seven generations 100 you, know? you know and he's going to be older and you know look relationships break down and break through and you want to have a relationship that has breakdowns and breakthroughs because they're stronger Yep. Right. Like when yep. you, when you come out the other side of a breakdown, usually the relationship gets stronger, but you have to come out the other side. You got to yep. own the breakdown, you know, and most guys have a, ver- we don't have that modeled for us. Like no one ever modeled what that looked like. And that took a lot of exploring and spending time around people. And, you know, like even the other day when my buddy came over and, and something happened, he's like, so, so what chores are your son doing right now? And I'm, I was like, um, um, he's like, dude, you better get on that. Like, what are you doing? Like, he like, he's like, dude, <laughs> here's the fucking list. Yeah. And get that motherfucker working. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I was like, well, I, you know, like I was like stutter and he's, I was like, you're right. You know? Yeah. And, and then made the shift. Like there was something that was in my blind spot where I wasn't really having him work for what he was doing the way he should be. Like I was doing it or Suki was doing it. We have people working for us. Right. Like, and he like called me out on it. I was like, thank you you know, made the shift, you know, and we yeah. need other people to call us out on our stuff because yeah. we all have blind spots. 
hundred percent. All right. Next question. If, um, if there's such a thing, of course there is as, uh, you know, lineage, generational trauma passing on. I'm curious, what was your grandfather, just thinking on your paternal line and maybe, maybe there'll be answers. Maybe not. What was your grandfather's contribution to the lineage? What was your father's and what's yours? In, on the trauma side or just yeah just just in the health and well-being of the of the family as a as a whole oh it's a good question right because my grandfather was very stoic um and so not a lot of communication very stoic you know was you know actually was studying to be a jesuit priest and then met my grandmother and they had family and he was a a plainclothes detective for the mayor of New York. It was for many years. And then, you know, so just like old school policeman, you know, like just quiet. I never really got a lot from him. Um, and so I don't, you know, I don't know. He was very stoic, but, but quietly loving. Um, and they actually had a boxing gym in their garage. I used to jog to, and I would, you know, I had like heavy bag and speed bag and I would mm. run over there and, you know, he'd give me a little money and my grandma would be yelling at him because he was eating ice cream. Like they always had ice to get ice yelling at each other. Um, and then, you know, my dad, I mean, there's lots of stuff. I think, you know, what I've been unpacking where most of us, we kind of frame our fathers in terms of the negative stuff, right? Like the, the, the negative stuff that was, we had to work through with our dads, but there's a lot of positive stuff too, you know? Um, you know, my dad just, you know, knew how to get up and do the work, right? Mm -hmm. He just, he knew how to get up and he knew how to like get shit done. Um, he's very creative with his hands. You know, he always took care of us. You know, I think emotionally was challenged in connecting with me. And and it was also interesting when he passed, like, like hearing my sister's description of my dad, was literally like, whose dad was that? Cause I don't know that guy. Like, and I think yeah. some fathers have very different dynamics with daughters and then with sons. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if you have a daughter and you have a son, if you watch guys with their daughters versus their sons, most guys sometimes get into difficulty with their, their boys and it's a little easier with the girls. Right. Yeah. And so like doing that work, if you do have sons doing that work around your relationship with other men, yeah. I think is critical. Um, and, you know, and my dad, I didn't see him a lot with other guys, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've tried to go, okay, well, I want my son to spend time with me and other guys, you know, I want him to see my relationship with them. But I also want those guys to, to, to be a model for him. So yeah. I, I intentionally, when I do things with guys, I'll bring him along. Right. And so there's different things that I like to do with that, that I didn't get from my dad. Um, and again, like the emotional connectivity that I was craving, um, I think that drove me into finding deep emotional resonance with men and women, right? Like just mm -hmm. having open relationship with other guys because men weren't safe. You know, most of the, uh, you know, men were a threat, right? And I, ha I had guy friends, but like just as a whole, men as a whole were very threatening, you know, because I had a, there's always a lot of violence in my peripheral. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think reconciling that relationship, I think is really important to being a healthy father for a boy. Mm -hmm. uh, are you finding that like the difference between the energy between your daughter and your sons? Well, I mean, for myself, 
if there's any difference, it went a little bit the other way. I think just that, like, listen, I've spent an, my entire life with dudes, like my entire, entire right. life has, has fundamentally been with, with boys. So when wilderness came last year, there was, a, there was an initial just sort of awkwardness of like, okay, is it, is it any different? But it, it quickly, it quickly vanished, you know? And right. um, I think that uh, I actually, so my actual answer is not much. Not right. much difference at this point. And yeah. she's super young, right? When she's, yeah, you know, yeah. coming home and she's wearing a, a short skirt and a top, you know, and you're just yeah. like, yeah. whoa, hang on a second. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't envy dads with, with daughters. I got a buddy of mine has got four girls. And it's just like, yeah. dude, like, yeah, holy shit. You know, like, that's two boys is very different than two girls, right? It's a very different energy. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, one last question, and then I'm done with my questions. And it is, what what do you want for your son? Big picture, like biggest, deepest wants. Like, like what what do you want for him? In you know, in order to have a a, a life that's that or what 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 actually? I mean, that is the question. But um, what are you preparing him for? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we moved him to a new school. Um, and so I wanted him to have more of a global mindset. Mm. Um, I wanted him to have an education that was applied. So the things that he was learning are in the context of real world experiences, which we found a great school here in Boulder called Watershed, which is incredible. There's really no other school like it. Um, you know, as they get older, they spend like a hundred days on the road out in the world doing things. And um, so, and, and it, it fits my ethos, which is, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that number one is if you can own the stage, you can succeed in any context. Yeah. Like if you can step on the stage in front of a group of people and speak articulately, share a message, a voice, a story, like your possibilities widen 10x, right? And so like what I love is every trimester, he has to present his work to all of the parents. He gets up there, he puts his portfolio up there, he gets dressed up and he shares about why he's proud of his work, what he did, what his intention was. And I love that. And I, and that's something that I, I really wanted him to feel a sense of confidence and relaxation with other people and groups. Yeah. Right? So if you think about yeah. possibility in the world for people who don't <clears throat> feel comfortable socially, it, it's an incredible impediment, right? It's not, un, it's not like you won't succeed. Right. There are a lot of people who are introvert and don't like groups who succeed immensely. Right. But I know I wanted him to have the capacity to feel relaxed and confident and centered in groups and being able to speak from stage. That was like a really important thing. Um, You know, when he when he finds interests and passions, one of the things you learn with kids is if they suck at something in the beginning, it typically drops off. Right. Mm. So what I, I know that there's a window, right? And so what I try to do when he likes something is I try to get him a series of privates and right. let him get some level of competency yeah. where he can be good at it. And I think for boys, especially having some level of competency early on and something gives them a sense of confidence, a self-esteem and, and, and ability, a capability. And I've done that with mountain biking. I've done that with skiing with him. Like everything that we do, I try to get it to where he has some level of competence and he enjoys it, right? Because kids 
hate doing things they're not good at. I hate doing things I'm not good at, right? <laughs> so if I do something, I try to like learn very quickly from someone who's really good. So I get some competence and then I can enjoy it, right? So preparing him on the learning side and giving him a breath of experience, um, but also like not pushing him, but like finding his interests, listening to those interests and then putting those things and supporting him and journeying in that way. Um, yeah. And, and I think musically as a drummer, like he said, he's like, you know, I'm the, I'm the spine of the band. I'm the backbone of the band. And it's true. Like drummer's off the whole thing's off. Yeah. So I love that, you know, he's up there playing musically, listening, working with other people, um, holding a rhythm and a beat. I think that to me, metaphorically, as he goes out, whenever he says he wants to do something, I'll slowly plant seeds. And, and I'll, I'm like, yeah, you can do that. And, you know, and if you have a company that does that and you have 20 people underneath. So I always seed entrepreneurship with him. Yeah. And, and again, he, yeah. he, um, he would do this thing. It's a little share a little story. He, he raided our closet with chocolate and pirate booty and Hershey kisses. And he went around the neighborhood selling it. Cause he wanted to make money for his video games. <laughs> and I got a text from one of my neighbors and he's like, Hey, your son just came by saying that he was raising money for the homeless. Is that true? <laughs> and, and I was like, no. <laughs> and so I was like, so Jaden, how much money did you make? He's like, Oh, I made $12, you know? And I'm like, really? And, and did you tell people you were raising money for the homeless? And he's like, yeah. I was like, are you giving it to the homeless? He's like, no. I'm like, well, why did you do that? He goes, well, why else would they give me money? You know? <laughs> and so, so it was our first lesson in like fraud and yeah. like what fraud was, you know? And I was like, okay, so we have to go back and give the money back. Right. Yeah. And I was like, just be honest, tell people what you're making. You know, you're, you, you have a video game you really like, and you're trying to raise some money. And, um, and so he, we had these little tiny Hershey kisses and um, I was like, dude, no one's going to buy fucking Hershey kisses. What are you doing? And he, <laughs> like, I was like, I was kind of embarrassed. He's going around selling fucking Hershey kisses like, to my neighbors. Right. And, um, and he, he, he's like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. And he goes to my next door neighbor who is a real estate broker. And the guy was like, so impressed with his entrepreneurship. He gave him 50 bucks for these nice. chocolates. Right. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget this. He came home. I'm like, Jaden, how'd it go? And he held up $50. He goes, don't you ever doubt me again. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I never will. And so whenever he wants to sell something now, I'm like, you know what? Go for it. And so now like he'll do water, he'll do these, like there'll be a part like, um, you know, a festival or something and he'll go sell stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, you can, you can hire six of the kids, give them 20%. Like, so I'm just trying to teach them like little ways yeah. To like, yeah. you know, just to sell. And like, you know, if you look at our buddy Ezra Firestone, he used to sell in the markets. Now he's like the number one seller on Shopify. He's an incredible salesman. Incredible. Yeah. Right. But he learned selling with his family and going to the flea markets and selling nuts. And, you know, and so I feel like I want him to feel confident in getting rejection because that's essential. You're going to get rejected. And most people are crushed from rejection. And I'm just like, your rejection is just, you're not really positioning it properly. And you don't need everybody to buy your stuff. You just need a small amount. How, how much do you want to make? So I really want him to feel permission to, to um, share the thing he wants to share. If he wants to sell something, sell it. If he wants to make money, he can make it. If he wants to get on stage, he can speak. Um, I love for him to create in groups, like musically and being in a band and learning how to yeah. listen and respond and rely yeah. on other people and, and, and have that experience. I never had that. And everything yeah. that I've done has always been solo. So working in groups sometimes is a little challenging for me because I didn't mm -hmm. have that early on and I had to relearn that. Um, 
Yeah. So that's, I really want him to be able to have an idea and express that idea. Um, I want him to feel permission to express and get out in the world. And then also like, um, again, I, I don't know, do you ski, you snowboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm sure at some point, like I never snowboarded. I I did a couple of times and then my wife's a great skier and my stepson is a great skier. And then when Jaden was born, I was like, I kind of want to like have some family things we can do. And so like, I just watched a bazillion YouTube videos and then we went to Jackson hole and, you know, now like my son and I do double diamond stuff. He wants to come hella boarding with me. That's only seven years ago. You know, we, he and I, we blast through the trees and we chase each other through the trees at full speed. Like as a family, we ski, we love glade skiing. And so I find that that skiing and snowboarding has been another container for our family experience. So using fatherhood to challenge you to dig, to learn skills that you then can do as a family yep. is incredible. I love that, man. That, that feels like a beautiful note to, uh, to hang on here. Just the, <clears throat> yeah. Using it as an opportunity to, um, to build a life of that's, that's beautiful and fulfilling. Totally. Right. And, and it, what I think what, what sticks out to me there is just that, um, I mean, I was pretty good at being selfish, right. I was pretty good at activating and doing the things that made me happy, but but there's something different about doing it for, for the whole family unit. Right. And it's, it's, it's so, it is so much more, it's harder. It is hard, but it is so much more fulfilling. Well, you get a lot of the guys that I share that story with, they're like, ah, man, I I just, I don't ski, you know? And I'm like, but seven years from now you could. Yeah. Right. So, so like, I think for dads getting out of this short term, short minded, site you have to look at if you're a father hopefully knock on wood you have a very very long life with your children and at some point they're gonna have kids and so if you're 40 or 42 and you got kids and you don't ski i tell you what like in six sessions your kids are gonna be rock stars on skis you put them in ski school six times and they're maniacs right so they learn quick and so if you don't then spend three to five years getting better like use time don't say ah you know i never started i'm too old to do it now you know and i'm like now it's 40 like you're not i mean I, it, I just get i get so i mean i i just I, you gotta fucking just do it like and that's and that's the the fatherhood on unlock ethos in a nutshell is like you have we need to expand our hearts and our ability to give and receive love and relate right that's that's this end and then on this other end it's like it's fucking go time dads it is fucking go time like you know i you know in a dis disembodied state like a david goggins sort of you know push 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 can be you know seemingly over aggressive but i actually love that type of energy placed in service of children or the family or the better totally. good right it's 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 both we gotta fucking stop fucking around and all you need is one percent of david goggins <laughs> right? like, totally. no, no one totally. will ever model and yeah. be david goggins david goggins has his own journey of trauma and pain and that's how he's yeah. coped right yeah. and so like i think that and again, if you don't, you know, if it doesn't resonate right now, you don't have the willpower, the drive, the desire, the energy, the know-how to make it go time. Seven years from now, you can, right? So again, yeah. you got to look, yeah. okay, my intention, I'm going to write it down is I want to get to a place where I can say I'm the kind of guy who's just like, I just, I just fucking do it. Like right now, I don't fucking do it. But my intention is to just be at a place where I can just fucking do it. And okay. I'm going to spend the next three years 
setting that intention. Like, and usually like, it's funny, like with executives, very, very, you know, wealthy executives, you know, especially ones that have an air where no one challenged them. I love getting them on the jujitsu mat and choking them out. Right. I love counting them and saying, try to get me off and having them use willpower to get me off because they can't. Right. (laughs) But if I teach them one move, they can get, they can get me off with the right technique. Right. And so a lot of guys, I do encourage them to get into a grappling art. If they feel like they're in their head, they can't access their fire. There's this disconnect where, you know, I'm an awake guy. I'm not angry. That's such bullshit because the, your, your fierceness is buried in this part of you that you've deemed anger as negative or bad, right? So find a place where you can, in a healthy way, activate that aggression. And jujitsu is an amazing, amazing art form to do that. And also as a father, I do think that for me personally, having the capacity to, if there is an issue, and even if it's someone that's stronger than me, I can tie them up and at least not lose, right? I may not win, but I can tie them up and not lose. I think that for a father... You need to have the capacity. If shit does hit the fan, you know what to do. Like I, so I moved to Colorado yeah. two yeah. years ago from New York City, and you know, look, there, I went into that King Supers a couple of days before we were heading skiing, and I spilled coffee on my wife's pants, and I went into that King Supers a couple of days later. The guy comes in and shoots it up. Yep. That's a possibility. There is threats out there. I don't live in fear, but mm-hmm. I train with guys. I know how to protect myself. I've taken active shooter courses. I know what to do in those situations. And some people are afraid to go there because you're like, oh, I don't want to attract that in my life. But I think as a dad, it's like, I'd rather be prepared and live yeah. in a, re- and I'm relaxed. Yeah. I don't live in fear. I don't, I don't fear violence, but I know that if something happens, I know what to do. So well, I what, was- what, what really sticks out to me there, man, is that, so yeah, the, there's the, this fierceness or this ability to respond, this capacity for violence, however we want to talk about it, right? So there's the one context where we may actually need to be violent or protective on that. and, and sure. But then it's the same seed. It's like it like goes down to the same root as just taking action and not like that same sort of loving aggression also wow. helps push through all the shit, right? So the 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 fast way that I get dads to flash in touch with it is just, just, it takes three seconds. Imagine your kid walking into a, a, a busy road. What happens to your body? Right, what do you, right. what, what do you embody? What happens right. there? Yeah. It's like yeah. fucking complete. Right? right. And so, and those are the two snapshots, right? Like the snapshot of your child walking into a dangerous place or a snapshot of your child on your chest when you were first born and that, that, that big heart boom. And then that big warrior fucking action boom. Like, I feel like those, obviously those are just experiences or flashes, but I, but I feel like they take us right to the core of, of really what's fundamentally needed as a dad. Right. It's it's not the whole thing, but I just, I feel like that gets there, but I'm fucking with you, man. I'm totally with you on the, um, and it's interesting as, as my kids start to get a little bit older and I just come out of the, the really intense phase of diapers and shit. Um, yeah, I mean, and I actually think in my work in the world too, there's I'm I'm like uh, really leaning far more into this action element. I mean, I, I I went heavy into the feelings and heavy into the in, into the relationary stuff, and I think that's critical. But um, I'm so excited to be working in this context and talking and having these conversations with you, right? Because I, I think you truly do it. You really embody a a really balanced, integrated spectrum of life and as a dad i mean i've looked up to you in this way for a long time but i just i just think there's 
there aren't that many, you know, examples of dads out there. There are, but they're not all public, right? Where right, where right. where they really are, um, yeah, living with with this level of intention and this level of awareness, and and uh, so. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it's just having the humility. I think with the going back to the jujitsu analogy is that you know I get on the mat, I get ragdolled by a black belt, <laughs> you know, and then I smash a white belt, right? And 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 this idea that you know it doesn't matter how tough you think you feel, there's someone always there that's going to smash you, and there's someone always that you can die. And I think that this humility of recognizing that and feeling that sense of like, wow. When push comes to shove and I'm and I'm getting mounted, if I don't know what to do, I'm not getting out. And again, yeah. there's no amount of force that will get you off. If I mount you, there's no amount of force that you can do to get me off you if you don't know what you're doing. And I usually have a clock. It's, it's like two to four minutes. And then you gas out and then I choke you out, right? And it's important for dads to recognize that brute force can only last for so long until you yeah. burn out. You've yeah. got to have the right skill sets and you got to, you got to train them over and over again so that they come out instantly, especially, and this is the thing is you can know what to do, but can you do it repeatedly under pressure when shit hits the fan mm. <clears throat> and do it with a level of excellence, right? And yeah. that's the goal. <laughs> that's the thing where, <clears throat> sorry, that's the thing where in jujitsu, you realize, wow, it takes me a long amount of time to learn how to do that. Yeah, Like over and over and over again, I get on the mat and you just get a bunch of humility of like, wow, that was a shitty role. I got smashed. I got crushed. I had no energy. I tapped out a lot because, you know, like they say, like uh, Joe Rogan said, like, like exhaustions makes pussies of us all. Like yeah, when you're exhausted, sure. I'm like, just tap me, yeah. tap me. I'm yeah. done. You know, um, I think it's important to feel that. And then then and then in jujitsu, it wakes up this thing of, OK, I'm getting tapped out at home all the time. And I'm trying to use brute stroke force, anger, yelling, raising my voice, stonewalling, whatever it is with my wife, intimidation and try to get kids to do things. And sure, that could work in the short term, but there's got to be a level of skill sets that allows that to be less, um, you know, damaging, right? I mean, yeah. like traumatic to yeah. the to the child, right? So, and look, I think, you know, you went all the way into the feeling and now you're in the doing I think doing with feeling is the kind of booby prize, right? That's the thing that we're, yeah. we're seeking is, yeah. can I be embodied in action? And can I be fierce and loving at the same time, right? Can I, can I be fierce with my son, but have an open heart while I do that? Because if I'm fierce with a closed heart, it's abuse. But can I have a full heart and be fierce and do that in a moment when I'm really tapped out? Yeah, That is the hardest. That's the place where it really shows up, right. you know? So Oh man, so much. <clears throat> Thank you so much, here, man. Yeah. yeah, so much, so much, so much good stuff. Um, is there anything you want to highlight for the listeners? Anything in terms of, well, I mean, we, I'm not sure when this is going to launch exactly, but we're working on a project together, which is, it's just about leadership. Um, and uh, we're not saying a whole lot about that, but what else you got going on? What, what do you want? What do you want to people, people to know, John? Um, you know, it's a good question, right? I mean, I think, I do think this piece, like some takeaways is, you know, if you're feeling like there's more in you, more potential, and you're not able to activate it, you might need to create an environment where that thing gets called forward. Yeah. And, and yeah. be willing to, I think, 
there is an element where if you look at the tarot cards, right, the first card is the fool. I think the last card is the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so like enlightenment or, you know, completion, so to speak. And if you want to go on a journey, you got to be willing to pull the fool card. And for a long time, like I, I had a lot of fear of looking stupid, right? Like I, I think before having kids, that was a big thing is how I was seen, how I was perceived and how other people looked at me. And I think at some point you've got to just let that go yeah. and be willing to pull the fool card and look like an idiot uh, and, and to start something new, right? So if you're yeah. feeling stuck, there's more in you. The thing that you might need to do is pull a fool card. And the fool is the precursor to mastery. So it's only a fool for a short amount of time until you get some competence under your belt. So it's only a short window of feeling like you're an idiot or you're not <laughs> like for whatever. So, so I always use that when I'm trying something new and especially like, I think when people, when guys get successful trying something new publicly that you're not really that great at, there is a lot of vulnerability there. Cause it's like, well, no. I'm really good in this context, but I might suck in this context. And just being willing to like, look like an idiot. And I think as a father, just having the willingness to look like a fool is, is critical to starting new things. Um, Cause you will look like an idiot uh, often. I think that's a, that's a key piece. Um, So, you know, step into something that unlocks the potential. Um, I I love this idea of, you know, most guys from an ego perspective want to lead from the front. They want to be seen. They want to be the guy. They want to be the big man, whatever it is energetically. It's like, I'm the guy. But I think as a father, you start to learn to lead from multiple positions. And in the family, you can lead from behind. You don't have to be out front all the time and let the kids kind of step in and lead a little bit. I think that's important as they get older. I never felt like I always felt self-conscious doing that with my father. And therefore, then I would stumble and then he would take over. So I think giving a space for kids to fumble without correcting them is super critical. And it's something that I think, again, at each developmental stage of the child, it looks differently and and requires different things. Right. Um, You know, now like my stepson, like his first day with his driver's license, he backed out of the garage with the door open and took the door off. Right. (laughs) And And so, so, so there's moments where I'm like, you gotta be fucked <laughs> on the fucking first day, right? Like, you know, and then he tried to blame my my little guy, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't get to blame anybody, you know. Right. And so, so, you know, I think I don't know about you, but I had a lot of those as a kid. Yeah. You know, with my dad. Oh, yeah. I mean, fucked up, you know. I mean, how many times you fuck up with your dad? I took the door off. I've crashed cars. I've done. No, I did the same thing. I, I backed, I think one of my first times I backed, I, it just took the rear view mirror off the first time right. I backed. Right. Garage, right. But those are essential for kids. I think, I think <clears throat> to, to assume that that isn't going to happen and to shame them that they're wrong or bad or not good. Being a child means making mistakes and, and doing things, you know, that are, yeah, that need educational components around. So I think yeah. just holding a wider loving frame and being fierce at the same time. I think yeah. that's a critical, yeah. critical component. Um, well, thank you, brother. I think we're going to end it there, but um, fuck. Yeah. There's, we could, we could probably do this for days on end and continue recording, but thank yeah, you so yeah. much for your wisdom, brother. Huge yeah, love. My pleasure. All right, friends. Thank you, John. Thank you everybody listening. And uh, yeah, please share. Please share and talk, and uh, hopefully there's one piece of this conversation that makes its way into your life in a meaningful way, Um, and we will see you next time.